0: Master Hakuin's Chant in Praise of Zazen. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water, crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ease good delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds in the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, We go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form and going and returning, we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi! How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom! What is there outside us? What is that we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. Today is the 23rd of January, 2022, and um, this evening we're going to take up um, a koan from the uh, Hikigon Roku, the Blue Cliff Record, it's number 86, Umon's Everyone Has Their Own Light. And uh, th- this is the case, Umon said to the assembly, everyone has his own light. So when you try to see it, you cannot. Everything is darkness. What is everybody's light? He answered himself, saying, the temple storeroom, the tower gateway. He also said, a precious thing isn't as good as nothing. So we just have this one figure here in this um, case, Umon Ummon. Bunen is his full Japanese name and his Chinese name Yunmen men wen Yin. His dates are 864 to 949, so he was at the end of the Tang dynasty in the beginning of the short five dynasties period. He was founder of the Yunmen school, so one of the five houses of Zen uh, is traced back to umon He's a very—we meet him in many, many different koans, and he's a very uh, striking and powerful character. He's a one of the the really towering figures of of the Chan tradition. Um, and he, he, he's among many um, uh, really um, charismatic figures, he, he stands out. I'm going to read about him from um, The Golden Age of Zen um, by John C.H. Wu. He um, has a whole chapter on on Yumen, or we'll be we'll be skipping about and probably moving back and forth too between his Japanese name Omon and his Chinese name Yunmen. Um, John Wu starts off by describing um, people as falling into two c- camps, either either they're slow breathers or fast breathers and he puts the founders of Three of the five s- s- houses of Zen into the slow breather category, and he puts Linji and Unmon um, into the, this Rinzai, into the fast breather c- category, but he says that um, Yunmen breathes faster even than, than the fiery Linji. But he goes on to say, Um, Yunmen seldom, if ever, resorts to shouts or beatings. This is in contrast, of course, to um, Linji. Like a sorcerer, he kills by cursing. His tongue is inconceivably venomous, and what makes the case worse, he is the most eloquent of the Chan masters. He's uh, Young Min is really um, a radical iconoclast. Um, give some examples as we go through this. He, on um, one occasion related the le- legend of the Buddha, uh, the Buddha at his birth, um, pointing one hand to heaven and the other to the ground, and walking seven steps, and declaring Um, above the heavens, below the heavens I am the only one, or sometimes I alone am the honoured one. And Yun Min, after relating this story, said if I were a witness of this scene I would have knocked him to death at a single stroke and given his flesh to dogs for food. This would have been some contribution to the peace and harmony of the world. And we do get this teaching of killing the Buddha in Zen. If you meet the the Buddha on the road, kill the Buddha. Of course, it isn't to be taken literally. Just killing the Buddha really means um, not depending on, not relying on, for anything, not attaching to even to Buddha, and we know. Um, from history what attachment to a particular religious um, tradition can mean in terms of peace and harmony in the world, it can destroy them. Many wars get fought in the name of one or other faith. I'm afraid even, even um, that happens, has happened in Buddhism, though sometimes people who don't know much about Buddhist history will say that there has never been a war fought in the name of Buddhism, which is not true. It seems as though Yunmen had no respect for any person. He once quoted these words, he who hears the Dao in the morning can afford to die in the evening." Um, and this very um, famous saying um, is coined by Confucius. So I can Min, in commenting on this, doesn't even mention Confucius's name, but merely says, if even a worldly man could have felt like that, how much more must we monks feel about the one thing necessary to us? To to hear and see and understand the Tao. And this um, this Tao is a very very important term within Chinese culture, and was adopted by um, Buddhism. It existed for a long time prior to the arrival of Buddhism in China. And just. Uh, Read a little bit about this, the meaning, this, the rich meanings of this term Dao. This is Shibuyama Roshi. Dao is a term that plays an important role in Asian thinking. Its significance cannot be fully explained in language, nor can it be simply replaced by other words. It was in use in China before the introduction of Buddhism. Etymologically, Dao means a way, or a passage where people come and go. It can also be used in the sense of the right path for a person to follow. It thus refers to the moral code, or more broadly, the fundamental principle and reality of the universe, and has been used as an essential word in Daoism. As its etymological meaning, a passage where people come and go, indicates Tao is basically a very practical and realistic word, reflecting the pragmatic and ethical characteristics of traditional Chinese culture. Indian culture, by contrast, is much more philosophical. Indians use such words as bodhi, nirvana, prajna or shunyata which are all distinctly metaphysical and speculative. When Buddhism, with its Indian tradition, was introduced into China, the Chinese people had great difficulty in translating the Indian Buddhist terms, and they finally used Tao as a Chinese equivalent for Bodhi, Prajna, and similar words. Although the final meaning of the originally Chinese word is the same as its Indian equivalents, the newer nuances are naturally different, reflecting their respective cultural backgrounds. Dao gradually came to be used with its Chinese practical connotations. It's a very um, evocative word, Dao, because surely each and every one of us is, is trying to find our way Our way through life, our way through difficulties, ups and downs. He who hears the Tao in the morning can afford to die in the evening. Nor was yun men more polite with himself than with others. For instance, he said to his assembly, even if I could utter a wise word by the hearing of which you would attain an immediate enlightenment, it would still be like throwing ordure on your heads. This, This is to say that even if a master had done all he could have been expected of him, and even if his words had been instrumental to their awakening, still the end can never justify the means. To Yunmen, any speech, however legitimate from a worldly point of view, is out of place in regard to the eternal Tao. He seems to be obsessed with the primary insight of Lao Tzu, the um, founding teacher of Taoism. The Tao that could be expressed in words is not the eternal Tao. As Yuman was interested in nothing else than the eternal Tao, what use could he have for mere words? That is why whenever he had to make a conference, he always apologized for his speaking at all. Why why are words so tricky? It's so easy for us to uh, mistake the word or at least the concept for the thing itself. We think if we can explain the Tao, that we, it's the same as walking it, being on it. The great paradox about Yun is that, on the one hand, he had an extraordinary gift of eloquence, while on the other hand, he had a phobia for the word, as if every word were an intruder into the sacred ground of the inexpressible Tao. What a tension this must have created in his mind. Fortunately, he hit on a happy solution of this tension with another paradox. A person who has realized his self can, quote, stand unharmed in the midst of flames. So even if he took, talks all day, in reality, nothing cleaves to his lips and teeth, for he has actually spoken not a single word. Likewise, through, th- though although he wears his clothes and takes his meals every day, actually he has not touched a single grain of rice, nor put on a single thread of clothing. The, the Buddha actually once said, um, I, I, in, all my, in all my teaching, I've never said a, thing a single thing. And he's, he's pointing to something similar here. When, when the Buddhist texts talk about um, never touched a, a grain of rice or put on a thread of clothing, they're talking about reifying these things making them into an object. And this this koan is very much about avoiding that. The keenness of his mind reached an agonizing degree. He seemed to be sensitive to every motion of his own mind. And his self-knowledge enabled him to discern the thoughts and feelings of others from the same source of sensitivity, have sprung many a piercing insight into the secrets of spiritual life. Yunmin was conscious that his way was a narrow way. Um, He appealed only to the highly intelligent. His house has been characterized by all students of Chan as steep and abrupt. Um, And he himself wrote a poem about his style of of Chan, in which he said, steep is the mountain of Yunmen, rising straight upward, leaving the white clouds down below. Its streams, dashing and eddying about, allow no fish to linger around. The moment you step into my door, I already know what kind of ideas you've brought with you. What's the use of raising again the dust long settled in an old track? And it's notable that um, the Yunmin school didn't last. It hasn't survived up until the present. Um, and it is suggested, it has been suggested, that the, the reason for this is that it was too steep for people. Such then is the style and aura of the man into whose life and teachings we are going to peep with an undaunted spirit. This is John Wu speaking. We are told that one day Yun put his hands into the mouth of a wooden lion and cried at the top of his voice, help, help, I am bitten to death. Now we are going to put our hands into Yun mouth but there is no reason to for fear. Even if we should meet with the same terrible experience of him being bitten by a lion, we should still survive as he did." But this, this, just this little image just gives you a sense of, of, the, of the vitality of, of Yun Min, always looking for a way to, to um, engage with his students. Arouse them to uh, questioning. Yun Min was was born um, into a family, a very poor family, in a place called Yang, which is about halfway between present Shanghai and Hangzhou, and. Um, Probably because they were so poor, the family placed their their boy um, in a a monastery as a a temple novice. He was um, early recognised as having exceptional intelligence and he was especially noted for his eloquence. And as soon as he was old enough, he had his head shaved and he was subsequently ordained. He stayed um, in this particular temple for a few more years after that, um, delving deeply into the Vinaya, the, the, um, the part of the Buddhist scriptures that, that um, deals with all the, all the fine points of ethics and monastic regulations. Wu continues, all this learning, however, did not satisfy his deeper needs. He felt that it did not throw any light on the most vital problem of his own self. Hence he went to see the Chan master Mu Zhou. Mu Zhou's Japanese name is Bokushu. and uh, He was a disciple of the great Huangbo, obaku in Japanese. Mujo at this point was living in a hermitage and uh, by himself, and uh, he he saw Yunmen coming, and um, obviously Yunmen was going for teaching. But as soon as Mu Zhou saw him coming, he slammed the door, practically in his face. And then Yung-min knocked and Mu jo asked from inside, Who are you? Of course, not a, not a neutral question. After he had told him his name, Mu jo said, What do you want? And yung replied, I'm not yet enlightened, enlightened on the vital problem of my own self and I have come to beg for your instructions. Mu Zhao opened the door but after a quick look at, look at him, shut it again. And on the following two days, Yun Min knocked and met with the same experience. On the third day, as soon as the master opened the door, Yun Min squeezed in. The master grabbed him, saying, "Speak, speak!" And as Yunmen fumbled for something to say, the master pushed him out, saying, "Too late!" And shut the door so hard that he managed to break one of Yunmen's feet. This, this, the pain of the this uh, door slamming on his foot um, precipitated his kensho. And Mujo sent him off to see Shui Feng, Seppo in Japanese. And no doubt he sent him away because he recognized that Yunmen needed to now uh, refine his understanding in a community, training with others. Where he, could, where he could work on his, his, his um, sharp angles. There's also a, a story about um, his arrival at Seppo's place He arrived at the, the mountain um, where the temple monastery was and um, asked a monk that he met there whether he was going to be going up the mountain that day. And the monk said he was. So Yunmin asked him if he'd be willing to take a message to the abbot and to present it as his own words. Um, the monk, more full he, consented to this. And so um, Yunmen said, after your arrival in the monastery up there, as soon as you see the abbot entering the hall and the assembly gathered together, go forward at once, clasp your hands. This was probably in the traditional Chinese respectful greeting posture. And standing erect before him, say, oh, poor old man, why does he not take off that chain from his neck? The monk did exactly as he he had been told to do, but Shui Feng, Seppo, sensed immediately that those words were not his own. Coming down from his seat, he grabbed him firmly, saying, speak, speak. As the poor monk knew not what to say, Shui Feng pushed him away and said, those words are not yours. And he first um, tried to insist that they were, but um, when, when Seppo sent off some of his attendants for ropes and sticks he got scared and confessed that uh, it was a monk down at the bottom of the mountain in the village who had instructed him to talk to the, this way and then the abbot said go all of you to the village below to greet the one destined to be the spiritual guide of 500 persons and invite him to come so this, this, this story is, is, um, is pointing to the uh, exceptional nature of uh, Yun And We could have a quick look at this question that he, that he has the monk pose to Shui um, Feng. Oh, poor old man, why does he not take off the chain from his neck? The monks didn't wear chains. So what's he talking about here? Sometimes being the abbot of a, a training temple um, was referred to, to as uh, wearing an iron yoke. So he seems to be saying to Shui the, to the, to Feng, oh, you're, you're free, and yet you you have this this iron yoke around your neck. Why don't you take it off? So it's a, it's a kind of cheeky cheeky question, but one of deep purport in that he is asking directly about Shui Feng's aspiration, really. Why, why put up with all the, the, the cares and responsibilities of running a major temple in these places, often there might be five hundred or a thousand people in training. Why not take off the chain from around your neck? So, Seppo sends them down a deputation to 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 greet. Yunmin, and, and honor him. When he, when he came before Shui um, Feng, it was his turn to um, propose a, uh, a question. He, he asked him, how could you arrive at your present state? Yunmin said nothing but just lowered his head and then the comment is right right from that moment he saw eye to eye with the master so i guess the trap would have been for him to say oh well i went to mujo's place and blah 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 and this happened and then when my foot was slammed in the door i had this amazing insight into emptiness or whatever he might say but of course all of that is turning what happened into uh, a thing of pride or significance, and so he doesn 't say anything at all. He just lowers his head, of course lowering one 's head is often on a sign of of uh, some some uh, submission isn 't quite the right word, but of of showing respect or or um Asking for teaching, asking, showing um, humility, and this is this is an um, again is a theme that's so often repeated of the need for um, the the post uh, kensho training that really really kensho is just a, a new start. And after, after it is the work of integration that must happen. There's, there's a um, con which we'll look a little bit at as well, um, time allowing. Um, ordinary Mind is the way where a young master, Joshu, asks, asks about the wave, the Tao, to Nansen, but in the in the commentary uh, it says, even though Joshua has come to realization, he must delve into it for another thirty years before he can understand it fully. Really, of course, there's there's no bolt bottom to the Tao. There's no end to the road. It's of the nature of the Tao that it's an an eternal unfolding. So he ended up, um, Yunmin, spending several years with Shui Feng and eventually Shui uh, Feng transmitted the Dharma seal to him. In other words, um, acknowledged his, his understanding Yun-men then journeyed forth to visit the luminaries of different quarters, leaving profound impressions everywhere. Then he went to a particular temple where the abbot had um, kept the assembly leader's seat vacant um, for the 20 years that he had himself been abbot. and. Uh, from time to time, he would speak rather mysteriously about someone destined to become his um, assembly leader. I guess that would be like um, head of training. On the day when Yun Men was to arrive, the abbot suddenly ordered his monks to strike the bell and go out of the outermost gate of the monastery to welcome the assembly leader. The whole community went out, and lo and behold, there arrived on Yunmen. So eventually, um, later on, he became the abbot of this this monastery. I didn't um, remember to start my little timer clock how much time have we got left? Half an hour. Half an hour. Okay. I think that's going to work. So just um, a little bit more before we get to our case. Um, one of the things, one of the teaching methods that Yunmin used, which he was became quite famous, were his one-word barriers. In other words, he would respond to to questions with answers that were just one single character in Chinese. And just to um, give some examples of these. Question, what is the right dharma I? That's E-Y-E. Answer, all comprehensive. Question, how do you look at the wonderful coincidence between the chick tapping inside its shell and the hens pecking outside? This is, uh, was an image used for teacher and student. And Yunmen's answer, echo. Question, what is the one road of Yunmen? Answer, personal experience. Question, who is guilty of patricide? One who is guilty of patricide can repent and vow to amend his life before Buddha, but if he has killed the Buddha and the patriarchs, before whom can he repent and make Promise to amend. Answer. Exposed. A question. What is Tao? Answer. Go. Last one. Question. Where our late teacher remained silent when a question was put to him, how shall we enter it in the epitaph? Answer. Teacher. One of the most beautiful and pregnant of his utterances was his lightning-like response to the question, what happens when the tree has withered and its leaves dropped? All that he uttered was the phrase of four words, Ti Lu Chin Feng, body exposed to the golden wind. body exposed to the golden wind. The striking thing about yun is that in soaring to the transcendent sphere he shoots like a rocket, straight up, without making any circles. And yet when he comes down to the earth, he wants us to veer with the wind and to follow all the waves, tides, currents, eddies, swingings back and forth of the river of life. For this is how the eternal Tao functions in the world. When he was asked what is Tao, yun Men uttered just one word, go. The word is so pregnant in meanings that it is impossible to pin him down to a definite connotation. But in the context of his whole teaching, it would not be too far off the mark to say that one connotation he had in mind is, go your way, free and unencumbered, doing everything as befitting your state without being attached to particular methods or to results of your doing. Do your work and pass on. It's the essence of the Tao is is change. To to go with the ups and downs of the change that we encounter, whether it's it's changes here at the center, going through a transition at the moment, or with the ever Changing COVID restrictions, just to harmonize with them as the wheel turns to go. Gate, gate. As we chant at the end of our heart sutra, gate, gate, para, gatte. Parasam Gatte bodhisvaha. Svaha. This Gatte means gone. Gone, gone, gone gone beyond. Completely beyond. Awake with joy. He was deeply convinced that true emptiness does not destroy the existential realities. It's a quote. And that the formless is one with the world of forms, which is what the the, the Heart Sutra teaches us. <clears throat> and I don't remember who who was the the master who said this, but basically he said, having having once you've touched true emptiness, once you've seen into the emptiness of form then you can freely participate in the forms of this world in the the realities of existence in with all its 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 change and turmoil pain and joy you can participate in birth and sickness old age death Freely. He assured a prominent lay disciple of his that there is no difference between the lay and the cleric in the matter of self realization, quoting a passage from the Lotus Sutra in support of his conviction that all activities, by way of ministering unto the existential needs of oneself, and others are in no way incompatible with the nature of reality, the wearing of that iron yoke by the, the abbot, no, in no way uh, an obstacle. Of course, different states of life entail different duties, and everyone must put his feet solidly on the ground and walk steadily in the path of duty. This is much better than to indulge in wild fancies and empty speculation. To the enlightened person, heaven is heaven, earth is earth, mountain is mountain, river is river, monk is monk, and layman is layman, or woman. He discouraged all theoretical and epistemological inquiries as a waste of one's precious time. The most important thing is to be oneself. A couple of comments on this. I was struck in reading it of uh, what an unfashionable word duty is. To do our duty. And at the moment with the pandemic, to do our civic duty. To follow what we are called to do in life. To, to act. He says the important thing is to be oneself. To, to realise this, this greater self this wide, broad, deep self. Once you have become yourself, you are freed from all the inhibitions and fears bred by the ignorance and cravings of your ego. Then you will be happy when you work, happy when you play, happy to live and happy to die. When a monk asked the master, who is myself, he answered, the one who roams freely in the mountains and takes his delight in the streams. Body exposed in the golden wind. This might not be descriptive of the state of the question necessarily, but certainly revealed the beautiful inner landscape of Yun men himself. In fact, one of his happiest utterances was, every day is a good day. I think of something I read of Thich Nhat Hanh's, um, just in one of the obituaries. I couldn't find it again, of course. But he said something like, um, we, need to, we need to learn to be happy. And he said, equally, we learn, need to learn to, be, to suffer. Both of these together are what con- constitute
1: uh,
0: a truly happy life. So now back back to our case. our pithy, Words of Unmon. Unmon said to the assembly, everyone has his own light. Though when you try to see it, you cannot. Everything is darkness. What is everybody's light? He answered himself, saying, the temple storeroom, the tower gateway. He also said, a precious thing isn't as good as nothing. Uh. When we work on this, we only work on the case in the in the Raku, but there are uh commentaries and um in the commentary on this this um, first part of the part of the case um, it's a expanded a little bit he says in this in his room, yon men imparted some words to teach people all of you right where you stand. Each and every one of you has a beam of light shining continuously now as of old, far removed from seeing or knowing. Though it's a light, when you're asked about it, you don't understand. Isn't it dark and dim?" And it says that he handed down this lesson for twenty years, but there was never anyone who understood its meaning. (laughs) It's patience. But he he really he really presents us with um, kind of an expression of our basic dilemma as as human beings. We have this light. We we are this light. But when we try to see it, everything is darkness. What does what does he mean? when he says everything is darkness. One of the ways that we we create this darkness for ourselves is that we we objectify this light. We look for its source outside us and so, and even when we try to search inside us, then there's still some subject, some part of us that we split off to do the searching. And therefore, we, we divide ourselves, we, we sort of alienate ourselves from ourselves from what, and, and from what is in front of us. We can, we can relate this, this, um, to the case that I mentioned earlier um, in the Khan that we've looked at numerous times, Ordinary Mind is the Way, and there um, Joshua asks Nansen, and Joshua is a young, a young monk at this stage, so starting on the way, he says, what is the way, you know, what is the Tao? Nansen answers, ordinary mind is the Tao. Joshua then asks, shall I try to seek after it? And Nansen says, if you try to seek after it, you go away from it. Then Joshua says, if I do not try for it, how can I know the way? And Nansen says, the the way is not a matter of knowing or not knowing. Knowing is illusion. Not knowing is blankness. If you attain to this way of no doubt, it is as boundless as vast space. So how can there be right or wrong in the way? At these words, Joshua was suddenly enlightened. In a sense, we, when we, we seek after it, we're, it's like we're simultaneously pushing it away. There's a, there's a story that Shibayama tells when commenting on ordinary mind is the Tao. And it's, it's a very um, moving one um, for that reason quite often uh, quoted. It's a story, uh, an anecdote about um, a Japanese steamship that was heading down the, um, the coast of, of South America east coast, and um, its supply of fresh water was running really low. Uh, there were no ports nearby and um, they were getting quite desperate when they saw um, further out from the coast a British ship and they signalled they signaled to the ship if, to see if they would be able to spare some of their drinking water um, for, the, for the Japanese crew and the, the British ship signalled back a very short message and the message was lower your buckets and it turns out that this um, Japanese ship, though it was far off the coast from the mouth of the, the Amazon, it was actually in the path of the, of the uh, Amazon as it came out uh, from the land. And the force of the river uh, pushed its fresh waters far out into the ocean. And so all they had to do was let down their buckets, and they had water again. It was, it was right all around them, they were in the midst of fresh water, thirsty, thirsty What's that line that we chant in Mark Strand? How near the truth, yet how far we seek, like one in water crying, I thirst. Like one in water crying, I thirst. Rumi uses the same image of Somebody bringing a gift of water to the the caliph, who who was whose palace was right next to the to the river. The uh, we we so we're in the midst of the of the Tao, um or flooded with light. Whatever words we use that don't. Uh, that that try attempt to to um, capture it, this true nature of ours. But we've got to learn how to let down our buckets, and we start w- w- the best way we know how. And it's how often it's how we relate to things generally. How we relate to the other in our our lives. So we get a chance to see our mind of grasping and its style and how how it, it divides us. So when we search for it, when we try and see it, all is darkness. But it's a darkness which has light in it. I think of, again, going back to our, our sutras. Um, we haven't done this much lately, but when we chant the harmony of relative and absolute. When within darkness there is light, but within light there is darkness, but do not try to understand that darkness. Within darkness there is light, but do not try to find that light. So this, this descending into darkness, we could say it's, it's part of the process. And it takes courage and t- determination to do so because it's not something we just do once, but something we have to do many, many times. In fact, it's the nature of being alive to face again and again what we don't know, what we're unfamiliar with. There's um, another evocative question that one of the old masters asked. He said, how many times have I descended into the blue dragon's cave for you? How many times have I had to go to that place where I feel lost? Go into that, that, that place of darkness and if we can can ease up on our grasping, then that darkness is is transformed into non-separation, which also has, in a sense, it's a kind of darkness. This is the other darkness that's much valued within within Zen and Chan, the darkness of uh, not seeing duality, not dividing and chopping the world up into pieces, the the blindness that is uh, cutting the world into one, the blindness of Manjushri's sword. So, as I mentioned, it said that, that this statement was something that yun would say again and again to all his, his students, but nobody could answer his question. Everyone has his own light, though when you try to see it, you cannot. Everything is darkness. What is everybody's light? What is everybody's light? So this is his goad, this is his prompt to us. So if we all have it, why can't we answer that question? He said that he he said this for twenty years and no one replied. But eventually somebody said, "Well, could you answer for us?" And then he then so after twenty years of asking this question, he did. He obliged. He answered saying, the temple, storeroom, the tower, gateway. And then he also said, a precious thing isn't as good as nothing. So when you take up this koan, it's it's a matter of um, looking at each of these and and, um, understanding them. Temple, storeroom, the tower, gateway. Now, this this tower gateway would be the would be a large, imposing structure, um, often in, uh, with three arches and um, very elegant carved roofs, and um, that'd be the first impression you'd have coming into the temple of this large and uh, imposing gate. There would be symbolism in the three entrances that you go through, to do with possibly with Buddha dharma and sangha, other things, but a um, powerful, powerful and, and uh, imposing kind of a uh, structure. The other thing that's mentioned here, not so much, the temple storeroom. This would be where kitchen supplies were kept, where the, the food that was, ordained, which was donated to the monastery would be taken, and it was probably a very unadorned space, very, very necessary for the functioning of the temple but ordinary. So what is, what is um, being suggested here by Ormond This is one, one aspect of this, of looking into this. And as, 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 as a student on this, you have to make it your own. Make your, your, your demonstration come out of your own experience. Everyone has her own light. But then he doesn't stop there goes on, a precious thing isn't as good as nothing what's, what's going on here, why does he feel need to say this, a precious thing isn't as good as nothing maybe he felt that, that people could mis- misinterpret the temple storeroom and the tower gateway way and maybe make them into something special and start attaching to them and look at what sorts of precious things we hold. Anything that we we value or, or hold dear, suffering comes with that because everything is evanescent, uncertain. But if we can, if we can hold that truth and see it, then we can, we can hold our precious things more lightly. Right now a dear friend, uh, a Zen friend, Jin Mon is, is dying in Middlemore Hospital. And he was, a, he was a skilled improviser, both on the sax, saxophone and the shakuhachi. And, and I'm sure that he's improvising now as he passes from this world to the next. And I think of uh, the words of Thich Nhat and I read these on Sunday, so most of you will have heard them already. He said, even when the cloud is not there, it continues as snow or rain. It is impossible for the cloud to die. It can become rain or ice, but it cannot become nothing. The cloud does not need to have a soul in order to continue. There is no beginning and no end. I will never die. There will be a dissolution of this body, but that does not mean my death. I will continue always. And it's only nothing or no thing that can last forever. And we see this from the point of view of of our big mind. Just um, end with, with something from another koan or, or stories Zen story. This one from The Hidden Lamp. There are, in this story, there are seven wise women who visit the charnel ground, place of death. And at one point, Indra, one of the gods, Indian gods, offers them whatever they need for the rest of their lives. So it's a big offer. And they say, we have everything we need, but please give us a tree without roots some land without light or shade, and a mountain valley where a shout does not echo. Even a precious thing isn't as good as nothing. We'll stop here and recite the four vows.
1: I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless flying passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow